The following audio drama is rated PG-13 for parental guidance. Greetings. I'm Chance Mulek, writer and co-producer of Saturn's Return. Saturn's Return is a contemporary fable about loss, sacrifice, and ordinary magic. It's set in a fictional small American town, where what you believe is as important as who you listen to, and why. This is episode one of three. Thank you for listening. Episode 1 Arrival Django was dead. I could smell him. That peculiar low flying stink that swells when something's been laid out in the sun or baking in a hot box for two or three days, except it wasn't two or three days. It was nine hours. My bedroom was on the second floor with a window facing westerly. The stable was about 90 yards upwind with a fine view of the gate and the sugar maples beyond. Most mornings I was wakened by the coffee grinder which my father had won in a poker game some 15 years prior. I do believe it was his favorite possession for that reason and that reason alone. We had 13 cows on 40 acres of land, in addition to five goats, two horses, and one gabled chicken coop. I also kept bees near a shed behind the house. We grew corn, sweet potatoes, and eggplant when there was demand for it. This might sound like a lot of work for two people, and it was, but not as much as you'd imagine. That's because we were blessed. And not just us, the whole town, really, for as long as anyone could recall. Barthos was the envy of the region, which is still worth saying, even if some don't like to hear it. Sorry. Frida says I lose track sometimes. I pulled on my boots and struck out for the source. My father was still asleep for no good goddamn reason that I could make sense of. Not then, anyway. Normally it's the grinder, you see, and hell if I haven't said that already. You think I'd get better at this? Not worse. Each time I tell it, things shift around in such ways that... I wonder what exactly is true, or if the ways and means matter at all. Maybe I don't have the right tools for this particular job. That's your loss, I suppose, because no one else was there. By the time I arrived, 
Django was 60% maggots. One hoof under him, all 1,500 pounds. And hay in his teeth from last evening's meal. Our second horse was nowhere to be found. I spent most of an hour calling for her without result, and the rest trying to figure how she escaped. Then the clouds rolled in. It was fixing to be a wet afternoon, and I'd need another pair of hands to compost the animal. Before the turn, before the landing of Cornell Reese, I was not given to feelings of pursuit. This was due to my work. Cobblers pay unusual attention to shoes. Builders notice joints. And me, as someone who farmed, kept an eye on the ground. That day, however, I was looking behind me. I was looking ahead. And I saw there were still no lights on at the house. This was the beginning of the end of everything we owned. been asked to remind you that the soda bread is free, but not infinite. So please, curb your appetites. I know it's hard, but if we all limit ourselves to one piece each, we might wind up with something that resembles fairness. That's the only way we're going to get through this, my friends. The miracle you're waiting for is within you. For those who don't know me, all two of you, my name is Frida. Now, some of us can trace our lineage back to the founding of Barthos, and things weren't so easy then either. My seventh great-grandfather, Lan Harkham, was our first librarian at a time when we were called that and not records specialist, a more cumbersome and less accurate title, but I voted against just last quarter. 
but majority rules in these matters, and this is what's called progress. The accounts we have register certain milestones, as you might expect. Post office openings, trade contracts, the very cell under our feet, and the first prisoners who were kept there, drunks mostly, the occasional thief. One woman of three and 30 years who struck an apple merchant because he compared her breast to pomegranates. Maybe it's the inconsistency that bothered her. My point is, we knew how to weather uncertainty. Nothing was given to us. There was no credit balance to draw from. We did things because we had to do them. You might wonder if we're still capable of that after so much abundance. I happen to believe we are. And I'm not given to wishful thinking. I'd like to call your attention to one passage in particular. It's dated 209 years ago during a long drought that had crippled our economy and our public health. We saw him approach, tall, sallow, a hat made of straw covering most of his face. This you have as evidence. And he did kneel and lay his hands upon the girl. And within minutes, she who was still had breath once more. She who was still had breath once more? Okay, that sounds important, but who was she? Where was she? And who was this strange fellow with the dramatic hat and the medicinal touch? We'll never know, because the previous page has been literally ripped out of the record. Still, many people understand this to be the very first mention of the Yellow King. We soon get accounts of his preternatural gifts, which he seems to bestow without effort or expectation. They follow him, in fact. Wherever he goes, prosperity blooms. And when a rumor starts that he's planning to leave Barthos, we capture him. We lock him in our cell and we throw away the key because we can no longer live without him. Or so we imagined. Four months ago, during what some folks have dubbed the turn, I was celebrating the five-year anniversary of my disengagement. And I'll say this to you now, which is what I often say to my younger sister. You exist even when no one's looking at you. The council is here to help. Please, don't hesitate to reach out. Two, five, fifteen, forty-eight. A fine progression. <laughs> Very advantageous. I see bright things ahead. A cocktail with a beautiful stranger. A cruise ship. A beach. 
travel is definitely on the menu. But that's nothing new for you, is it? I wouldn't know. <laughs> I, I mean, I do know because my system shows me. I've never been more than a mile past the border, and that was due to a drunken wander, followed by a less than pleasant case of sun poisoning. So it's taken me some years to develop my reputation. All you have to do is wait. You'll see I'm right. I've always had that pull, though, that agitation. I crawled out of my crib when I was eight months old, down the stairs, through the hall, and out the door before anyone noticed me. I remember this. The dust on the hardwood floor. My mother's slippers. They say you can't recall being born, but I do. What's happening now, of course, I didn't see. People wonder why I didn't warn them, but I deal with individuals, single movements, and I never had any cause to read him. We're not allowed down there anyway. I guess that's why Frida doesn't believe he exists. Or there's some hysterectical version of him, and that's all. It's his spirit that escaped, his life force, and our life went with it. You know when you get a letter from someone you aren't close to and you're reading between the lines trying to guess what the tone is? Are they being funny or deep or just reporting stuff in a weird order? That's what it's been like for me. I'm, I mean, I can get there. I'm clear about you. It takes a little longer is all. We're picking up the pieces, seeing if there's enough glue, enough hands, enough time. Everything used to be so fucking simple. Now we're not sure where to turn. The truth is, he suffered for us, for our benefits. He wanted to go, and if someone helped him, which they absolutely did, we should throw a party to end all parties and toast the son of a bitch. I've been accused. So is Einar. <laughs> I'd laugh if I thought it'd do any good. This whole town is flipped. Not so long ago, you know, I got all the candy for free. Literally, my sister too. We'd walk into shops and the owners would treat us to anything we set eyes on. <laughs> the Harkham girls. Royalty. <laughs> Guess it should have mattered to me more than it did. It's pure luck that I'm related to these people, that I'm here in the first place. Well, whatever. The past is for luck, and the future is for camisoles and umbrella drinks. <laughs> it's the part in the middle that can fuck you. But these are very good multiples, very advantageous. Just popping in to say that someone did, in fact, spot Tilly crawling out of the house. And if that someone hadn't screamed, our mother might have come too late, and someone would be an only child now. Reading about the infant that caught a train bound for the hills, and from there a camel or a mule ever onward, growing up and moving out, till Barthos was nothing but a stain in the street and a door with no latch. Okay. Correction made. Don't know if you can see this. Right cheek, above the jawline. 
chain-link fence had its way with me. I was there for the third time, and each time my offer rose another 5%. It was a valley property in Kroong, zoned for farming, and the owner was ready to sell. Part of her was, at least. The other part couldn't fathom it. On some level, it feels like failure, which is why she wanted me to meet her at the asking. I couldn't meet her at the asking, and she knew it. But this land, it needed a certain touch, a certain kind of attention to really unlock its potential. And she knew that, too. And it's not like there was a line of buyers behind me champing at the bit to take it on. But here we were, two glasses of lemonade between us, stuck on a number that wasn't doing either of us any good. I'm in this business for the people. <laughs> Sounds silly, and I don't mind when the money comes either. It's all an investment for both parties. By this point, I've noticed what's going on in her backyard. She's got this obstacle course set up, 10 acres devoted to it, small by professional standards, but completely homemade, all reclaimed wood and trenches and rope swings. The woman used to be a serious athlete, and she hadn't lost much, far as I could glean. She sees me gazing over there through the galley kitchen and says, I'll race you for it. Pretty sure I know what she means, but I confirm the deal. If she wins, I pay what's listed, or I walk. If I win, she'll accept my last and final offer, no questions asked. Not bad, right? Worst case, I get a little exercise and I'm back where I started, but I'm not focused on the worst case. I'm focused on beating her. We're dead even at the cargo net. Same with the monkey bars. I've got some height on her, but she's quick as hell and just upsettingly precise. And it dawns on me when I reach the mud crawl, of course I'm going to lose. There was never any question. She built this thing. She trains on it. She eats pinheads like me for breakfast. It hurts more than I thought it would, more than my lungs and my calves and my forearms, which is a meat grinding level of pain. She's over the last hurdle, the chain-link fence, barely winded. All I can do now is finish. I stagger over and throw myself at it, not even embarrassed anymore. The deal, the property, out the window. One hand after another, that's my whole world. I collapse in a heap. She's standing over me, arms crossed, shaking her head like a professor. I feel something warm on my face. She bends down. That'll need stitches, Mr. Reese. I don't even remember doing it. She took my first offer. Not because she pitied me, but because I turned up. I went the distance. It's never about the price or the contingencies or any of those things. It's about trust. And I'm here to earn that trust in whatever way I can. That's why I'm making this promise that your son, Einar, will always have a place on the ranch if he so chooses. It's hard letting go. I get it. But you're reaching for something else, aren't you? Something you can hold and manage. The sickness isn't when you have too little. The sickness is when you have too much.
listening to Saturn's Return by Chance Mulek, directed by Melanie Armour. Music and sound design by Chad Rains, featuring Karen Greinke as Frida Harkham, Jason Howard as Cornell Reese, Robin Kurtz as Tilly Harkham, and Mark Lindbergh as Einar Geld. Saturn's Return was produced by Nerve Tank Media. This project was commissioned by David Vining and made possible with support from the Putnam Arts Council, the Governor's Office of New York, and the New York City Artist Corps.